Hello friends, this is a special episode of Against Everyone with Connor B, which ties into the upcoming online course, Mysteries of the Tarot, featuring me, Rachel True, and Sarah Maria Griffin. The course takes place on Saturday, March 11. It's coming up pretty soon. And I'll tell you more about this course, which is a completely unique event, and the possibility to get readings with Rachel, Sarah, and I at the end of this episode, and actually throughout the episode. But I want to take this opportunity to offer some thoughts on the tarot. When this course is over, (laughs) this episode will turn over and shuffle itself back into the deck, by the way. If you don't feel like waiting... For me to go through my meditations or contemplations, I should say, on the tarot. The tickets for that event are on sale via connorhabib.com. Just go to the main page and you'll see a link there. If for some reason you don't see it there, or if a new post has gone up between this episode and the course, you can just go to the events page um, or you can find links to it on my Patreon, my Instagram, and my Twitter. Okay, so. I'm going to ask a question multiple times here. What is the tarot? Looked at plainly, everyone knows what the tarot is now. Isn't that remarkable? An esoteric system with its own voice emerging from a shroud of mysterious origins, reaching to all of us. And the tarot reaches us in many different ways through its differing decks. The reason most of us know what the tarot is is because around the turn of the century, from the 19th to the 20th, a new deck emerged. And this deck was created by Pamela Coleman-Smith and Arthur Edward Waite, and published by Ryder, which is now owned by Penguin Books. There are many other decks, but the Coleman-Smith-Ryder-Waite deck is the one that had the task of bringing the tarot into mass consciousness. You all know this one. It's the one that people see the most. It has bright colors, very defined images, and all the minor arcana are illustrated as well as major ones. It's no surprise that this deck is still carrying the task out of popularizing the tarot, of cementing it into mass consciousness. Other decks serve other functions, and whenever a new deck emerges, it gives a new possibility to what tarot is and what it's for. So when we talk about the tarot, we're talking about a pantheon of decks, a lineage from spirit to spirit running backwards into some time before the 15th century, possibly back to Egypt. For instance, another deck, Aleister Crowley and Lady Frida Harris's Thoth deck had the purpose of magicking the tarot, bringing the tarot into the service of a certain kind of magic. Crowley and Lady Frida Harris attempted to pull Christianity's impulses, as well as Egyptian ones, into the deck to use it to create effects in the material world. Decks to emerge in the late 20th and early 21st century um, are still coming out, obviously, and a lot of them are here to connect the unconscious with the conscious mind, or connecting our culture with the remaining potential or the vestiges of spirit in art and image. 
And the tarot has inspired other kinds of decks as well, like the She deck created by David Spangler and Jeremy Berg, which works to create a portal across our world and the other world of fairy beings. So when we ask, what is tarot? We're asking, what has tarot done? How has each deck functioned in the world differently? How is the lineage and the relationship between decks shared and spread out across the surface of history? Or to put it differently, I'll quote from the most important book ever written on tarot. The essence of the traditions is not a doctrine, but rather a community of spirits from age to age. That's from Meditations on the Tarot by Anonymous, which is really the Catholic uh, mystic Valentin Tomberg. Just as Lady Frida Harris took from Rudolf Steiner to funnel uh, some Christian occultist imagery into the magical realm and seize Christianity in the thought deck, Valentin Tomberg rebalanced it in a sense by taking Rudolf Steiner and giving these meditations on the tarot back, back to Christianity so that it could live there. In this course, The Mysteries of the Tarot, we're going to reveal this uh, experientially by the virtue of each of us using and talking about a different deck and our experiences with it. So I'll be using the Marseille deck with uh, the Cayman Hodorowski version of the Marseille deck. Sarah will be using the Coleman Smith Rider Waite tarot. And Rachel will be using the True Heart Intuitive tarot deck, which is the, ta the deck that she uh, created. The tarot will show itself differently in this way, different functions. And this is part of the reason why this course, like I said, is unique. Let me ask again, what is tarot? Okay, let's answer that differently. The tarot is a pathway beyond liberation. To illustrate this, I'll turn to Halle Unger's words. Um, she was a student of Lacan's and one of Alejandro Hodorowski's teachers, companions, co-creators. Here's what she writes. All those who offer to liberate you deliver books, Marx's Capital, Mao's Little Red Book, and so on. But when a prisoner is liberated, the prison is still in existence. The tarot shows the way to deliverance, to the emancipation from the book, the way out of it. The tarot is really a set of maps. In French, map and card are the same word. For Unger, the tarot is beyond a text. We can follow its lines and indications. She says this in part because the tarot is a whole presence. It's not just the individual cards. I will name this a bit differently, but I'll stay with Unger in sentiment here. The tarot is the expression of the anatomy of a being. Remember when we approach a deck of tarot cards, we are looking at what emerges from the whole, from the deck. This is often lost because people look at each card and think of them on their own without regard to the deck. It's not wholly unuseful to do this, but when we taxonomize by delineating specific cards, pulling them out and losing the context, we lose a glimpse of the entirety that gives strength to what we're looking at in the first place. It is like looking into a dream dictionary to understand your dreams. Yes, there is meaning there, but if it's fixed without context, it becomes trivial. 
the anatomy of the whole deck is beyond us. It's always beyond us. But spreads are the way we connect to this being. The cards always emerge from the deck and they emerge as spreads. The idea with a spread is that we are echoing the whole. A spread is an echo through a veil of the whole anatomy. We pull the cards, um, which are themselves flat surfaces, onto a larger flat surface next to each other. Even if we just wanted to put tarot in pairs, if the cards in pairs, there are over 6,000 possibilities for relationship there. So like Freudian slips or repeated words in Lacanian analysis, we pay attention for little swaths of pattern to discern what the truth is. A small pattern that can give us a glimpse at the truth beneath the surface or a truth at the unseeable whole. Unseeable because it's so huge. We attenuate ourselves to the presence of this ripple. We can't read the entire deck at once. Hodorowski does something close to this, or as close as anyone has gotten by creating a mandala. But uh, it is a huge attempt, you know, aspirant, but it doesn't get there, of course. In some ways, it's just too huge. Imagine the being of the tarot is made out of all the possible combinations, not just the 6,006 pairs, but their differing orders and then every possible spread. And of course, beyond that, there are the details of each card and the questions you've asked. This is what's available to us. Think of a giant being made of these possibilities, revealing itself to you piece by piece. Like, you know, those paintings by Giuseppe Arcimboldo, the people made of fruits or animals or vegetables. Imagine one of those pulling an apple and a pear off its face and handing them to you for nourishment. So what is the tarot? It is the whole deck and the aspects of itself that it decides to reveal to you, each with its own conversations and gestures and presences. The mystic and engineer and writer Emanuel Swedenborg once said that one word from an angel is a complete book in human language. Bear in mind the volumes on each of these cards. And each of these cards is formed by two equally sized squares making the rectangle of the card. And then there's this space, surface, color, this ecology. In the course, we're going to look at all this through differing interpretations of the spreads. This is one of the things I'm the most excited about. Rachel's going to draw a card. Sarah's going to draw a card, and I'm going to draw a card. And each of these cards is going to come from a separate deck in different spaces on the planet, although Sarah's not too far from where I live. <laughs> and then we're all going to read the spread that we've created separately and differently. Three different readings from three different readers from a spread composed of three different decks to point you to the language of the angel. Okay, one last time. What is the tarot? <laughs> it is a call to a differing form of evaluating the real. Hodorowsky and Unger both say that the tarot is a mirror of our subjective truth. It's only when we realize that this is closer to truth than what we call objective, that the objective is a gathering of subjects, like tradition as a community 
of spirits, the density of subjectivities. And the tarot's connection to the center of being, to moments in the evolution of consciousness, is present. On episode 212 of the show, I talked with David Spangler uh, about the difference between the potency and spiritual presence of differing objects. Let's say if you place them on an altar for religious or spiritual purposes. So for instance, what's the difference between putting a chalice on an altar and a Yoda figurine? It's not that one of them's bad and the other's good. It's that the chalice, David explained, is that sort of object that finds its connection to the evolution of human consciousness. Whereas the Yoda figurine, which still might have a potency to you or meaning to you, is connecting to you through an idea realm which is much more recent. The chalice has its role in our lives in a way that Yoda does not. In the way that letters in a word have a deeper role in our lives than many of the words they create especially newer words. It's not that there's no value in those words. It's just that the letters are something else entirely. The tarot allows for no passivity. And this is important too. Only the objective world of gathered subjects subjects require involvement. This is important because right now we face the challenge of AI art, for instance. It's not actually artificial intelligence. It's not AI and it's not art. It's images generated by images that have their place in human evolution based on, you know, where they fit in in our history. And those images are generated by accessing opposing forces of zero and one which are set in motion by human desire, just a kind of blip of human desire sent out into these opposing forces of this binary code, which has layers and layers of complexity on top of it, of course, but finds itself relating to this massive, massive uh, series of the same opposing forces interacting. So, with tarot, we're not sending out a desire into opposing forces and passively hoping something that resonates with us in the form of art will show up. What's happening instead is that we're engaging with living images of the evolving human being and the living presence of the deck and its aspects. To engage with the tarot, to incorporate it into your life, is to decide that you're including the forces of evolution rather than halting them with desire and opposition. So I'm obviously a lot of things are different than what we're calling AI art. Um, but I make this distinction between that kind of image and the image that's in the tarot, because I think that that's important and deciding to include the kinds of images that the tarot offers is a different sort of life and living decision. With the tarot, what we study brings forth feelings, and those feelings are part of the study. What rises in us matters when we look at the tarot. To quote Goethe, we should not try through experiments to directly prove something or to confirm a theory. For at this pass, the transition from experience to judgment 
from knowledge to application, lie in wait all our inner enemies. Imaginative powers that lift us on their wings into heights while letting us believe we have our feet firmly on the ground in patience, haste, self-satisfaction, rigidity, thought forms, preconceived opinions, lassitude, frivolity, and fickleness. This horde and all its followers lie in ambush and suddenly attack both the active observer and the quiet one who seems so well secured against all power. This is uh, an essay that Goethe wrote about science. But to bring it to the tarot, the tarot inspires feeling within us. Each card inspires a feeling, and then it asks us to explore that feeling, not dismiss it. The realm it leads us through is a realm where the subjective matters because, like the deck's 78 aspects and near-infinite combinations of them, our responses form infinite differing combinations and outcomes. As we work more and more with the tarot, as we allow the aspects of its deck, the cards, to become our helpers, we learn how they relate to us, how they inspire what inner responses. So what is the tarot? <laughs> It's an opportunity to engage with reality beyond passivity, revealed by a new objectivity formed by subjectivities, even beyond time. Maybe that doesn't make perfect sense or any sense, <laughs> but that's okay. That's what I'm working on with the tarot. Here's Junger again. Against the current opinion of all the exegetes, who attempt to justify the tarot as a survival of the past, it is possible today to show that the tarot comes from the future because its levels of signification appear more and more clearly and tend towards a kind of perfection without the code having to undergo the slightest modification. True divination is this. You call upon the intangible. You receive an image without arguing. You conform to the lines of forces of the universe. You merge into them. You have no personal desire. You become lucid and joyous co-creator of your future and of humanity's future. I love that. <laughs> In this course, we're going to examine all of that by offering readings to you for an add-on to the tickets. Uh, the readings are individuated, of course. There's the reader, the attendant, the cards, the spreads, the deck. It's a meeting that reveals something new. And we're also offering a robust Q&A for people that don't want to do the readings or whatever, don't have the time, whatever it is. To sign up for the course, The Mysteries of the Tarot, go to connorhabib.com or those other ways I told you to find it. And just now to give you a full picture of the course, which will be about two and a half hours, uh, I and Rachel and Sarah will each take a turn discussing our encounter with the tarot and our decks and what it means. Then we'll create the spread, like I said, and each interpret it differently. Then we'll offer a robust Q&A. We won't rush. <laughs> and then we'll offer readings to those willing to take the extra step. And everyone also gets access to the recording for 30 days after the course. This course is for everyone, uh, beginners, experts, and that includes the tarot itself. I'm also offering this course 
to that, <laughs> not as some sort of worship of a god or anything like that. I'm not into that, but just in the sense of wanting to express a kind of gratitude by figuring out how to bring forward the tarot to our time, our moment, what's needed, and how it fits in. All right, friends. I hope to see you in the course. I'm very excited about it. And uh, there'll be uh, an actual episode episode up uh, after this one in a week or so, depending on when you're listening to it. All right. Bye-bye.